Hi, I'm David Green, and welcome to episode one of season 21 of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. On the show today, I'm talking to Jason Averbuck, CEO and co-founder at LeapGen, and one of the leading global authorities on HR technology and employee experience. Forever in the HR tech world, we've been talking about users, and it's not really a very friendly way to talk about people that you want to engage in something. And you know, one of the biggest problems with HR technology in general is adoption. So when we th- start thinking about why don't people adopt, you know, there's so many things that go into that. But one of the big reasons is we don't actually design for them. And that starts by probably thinking about what we call them. They're not users, they're humans. We haven't designed for people. We've designed for functions. And then we expect the people or the humans to engage in things that they don't even know how to spell. They don't know how to spell HR. Throughout this episode, Jason and I discuss his thoughts on how companies should approach employee experience and why that involves a whole person approach with human experience as the focus. We look at why it's so important to understand an individual's purpose and how they want to work so you can design solutions that meet them where they are and where they're going. We look at the role of data and technology in helping organizations to understand and measure employee experience. We dip into why building trust and understanding how people feel is so important when designing employee experience. And finally, Jason walks through some examples of how some of the best companies are building great employee experience. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Jason Averbuck, CEO and co-founder at LeapGen, uh, and one of the leading authorities in our field to the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Jason, it's great to have you on the show. I've been wanting to get you on the show ever since we started it in May 2019. Can you provide listeners with a brief introduction to to you and and to LeapGen? David, how are you? I'm very good, actually. How are you? We can't just start with like all that formality stuff. No, 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 I know. No, yeah, okay. I'm fine. I, I, you're good too. Yeah, I know you're in a hotel room at the moment in Cincinnati. Yeah, yeah, it's all good. So, Jason Averbook, which David, for as long as you've known me, you said Averbook. It's I actually, know. it's actually Averbook. So, it's you all good. Me out on that, haven't you? <laughs> no, it's all good. Um, so, Jason Averbook. Um, so, I've weirdly enough been. I was raised by my parents to be in HR. Um, I've been in HR space for a long time, uh, three decades. David, crazy to think about. Um, So I started implementing payroll systems uh, here in the United States. Um, Eventually ended up going to uh, be a product manager and build one of the first Windows applications, Windows, try old language, um, as people switched away from DOS um, as one of my early jobs. Um, You know, left that company, which was Ceridian Corporation to move on to PeopleSoft where I did everything from implement PeopleSoft to you know, serve in product strategy roles. Um, ended up leaving there in 2004 when my uh, first son, Ben, was born. Um, and then we started a new company that same day that uh, Ben was born called oh, Knowledge, yeah. Knowledge Infusion. So uh, like do everything in groups. It's always a good for the stress level. Um, and... Um, had that company for eight or nine years, sold it, uh, went on to be the CEO of a company called the Marcus Buckingham Company. Um, yep. We ended up selling that to ADP and then started LeapGen uh, in January, believe it or not, of 2017. So just celebrated five years. So long journey, but the whole time I've been working with HR, HR technology, and everything about transform- transforming our function. And obviously, we've, we've known each other for quite a few years. I think we first came across each other um, in London back in 2013, which is, I think, first event in London at Mark Coleman's and the team it's now when Leash um, actually ran. It was called he, HR Tech World, wasn't it? It was. Like it was each, might have even, even been HR Tech Europe at that point. But um, Oh, yeah. I mean, it's still the best event out there. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. And, and I think they're coming back this year in person as well, hopefully. So uh, good. Well, that, that should be good. Um. And even then, you were talking about the importance of employee experience, I think, mainly framed from a technology perspective. Um, and we used to bump into each other at conferences all around the world. And obviously, we haven't bumped into each other for a couple of years, but no doubt, hopefully, we'll be um, as, we, as we move into this year. Um, so I think it's entirely apt that we're kind of framing the conversation today around 
employee experience. Let's start by discussing the approach to employee experience design that, that, that you believe in. You know, what do you mean by a whole person approach to human experience design and, you know, why whole person? And maybe more, more interestingly, why human experience? Wow, great question to start, David. So when we start talking about this concept of whole person, one of the things, and, and user experience will be my example of the opposite of what yep. we talk about. You know, forever in the HR tech world, we've been talking about users. Users, 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 users. And it's not really a very friendly way to talk about people that you want to engage in something. And you know, one of the biggest problems with HR technology in general is adoption. So when we th start thinking about why don't people adopt, you know, there's so many things that go into that. But one of the big reasons is we don't actually design for them. And that starts by probably thinking about what we call them. They're not users, they're humans. We haven't designed for people. We've designed for functions. And then we expect the people or the humans to engage in things that they don't even know how to spell. They don't know how to spell HR. Yeah. So when we, that's really the biggest shift and you know, just the start of where this conversation, which we can go into more, but is the shift from user to human. And how do I make sure that if I'm truly going to expect people, humans, to engage, that I treat them like humans? Yeah. Yeah, I suppose it's, I suppose it's you know, if we think about customers, we don't call them users, we call them customers. So, no, I mean, it's just, it, it was just a goofy way of thinking about, well, how many users are you going to have? That's a good way to license software. <laughs> but if we're actually trying to endear people to us and get them to feel like we actually care, you know, we probably should take them for what they are, which are, are humans. And when, and when you think about human experience as opposed to user experience by, yeah, it's almost that user, when you think about user, it's almost the experience for the person using the tool is almost a, an afterthought, wherein you actually frame it as human experience. You're kind of putting it more at the center. You know? Yeah, I mean, David, you're, you're familiar with the F word, right? I'm, I'm, I'm a bit nervous about what F word you mean, yeah. <laughs> Failure, yeah, yeah we're, we're not going to break the explicit, uh, <laughs> the non-explicit uh, label on this podcast. No, it's, it's all about feeling. Yeah. It's how do we make someone feel? That's the F word. And in 2022, everything we do around employee experience is all about feeling. Yeah. And how do we want someone to feel? Do we want them to feel like it's engaging? Do we want them to feel like they're part of it? It was designed for them. Do we want them to actually feel at the end like it was positive? Um, one of the things you and I bantered about a little in the green room uh, was a little, you know, kind of like, hey, how do you measure experience? And I laugh when people, oh, we've got to start a big stuff. Like, dude, you know, I don't know if you've ever walked out of the, what do you call bathrooms over there? The loo? The loo or, yeah. yeah. You walk out of the loo and you see those dumb things that you're supposed to touch to say green, yellow, or red. Like, how was the bathroom? You know, they tell you to make sure you wash your hands, but then everyone's going to touch those things when they leave the loo. Um, like that's a real time measurement of the experience in the restroom, you know, yet oftentimes we don't ask people in real time what their experience is or how they feel in what it is they're doing, whether it be uh, consuming information from a report or from an analytical tool, or whether it be just going through an interaction. Notice I didn't say transaction, but interaction, you know, how are people feeling it? Notice I asked you when you started introducing me, how are you? That yeah. those those words are really powerful. They're not hard, but they're really powerful. And I think it links quite nicely to if we are going to call it human experience design. If we're designing for a great experience that creates positive feelings, how important is it to understand purpose? The purpose of the humans that we're trying to deliver the experience to. Yeah, I mean, it's really, I mean, one of the things that we talk a lot about in experience design, and, and once again, people are always like, how did you ever shift from HR technology to experience design? There's no shift. It's the, the consumer has changed. Yeah. You know, I mean, when, you know, back at Ceridian and PeopleSoft, when we built this stuff, like we didn't build it for 
end users, quote unquote. Like we said, we had self-service, but how derogatory. You know, we said, hey, guess what? You could dial up via modem. There's an old word. You know, and if the other line doesn't ring, you're going to connect and download a Java applet and take four minutes, you know, and hopefully then you can change your address if you know what an effective date is. Like all that stuff, that's, that was just user stuff. In the, when we think about humans and we think about this whole person approach, it's really saying, and by the way, it's happening now even with some of this dumb return to work verbiage. And sorry to get a little off on a tangent here, but no, 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 no. like return to work. Like, I don't know about you, but I've been working my arse off for the last two years. Like, yeah, I, I, I think, like, I think I, most people have, haven't they? That's a, yeah, I agree. It's a crazy. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I must have missed the vacation notice or that I was supposed to be off for the last two years, but like return to work, like it's return to office, which is the physical component of a person. But there's also the social per component, the spiritual, which ties to purpose. There's the intellectual component to it. I mean, there's more to a person than just where they are physically. Yeah. And that's really at the core of understanding people, you know, and understanding not just who they are by a number, but actually understanding how they work and how they want to work. The persona of that type of worker really helps you design to meet them where they are and where they're going. And actually on the return to office discussion, I was wondering your thoughts about this. I've noticed that the whole fixation seems to be in 99% of the stuff I read is about the where rather than the how and the what and the when. And if we've learned anything from the last two years, those elements are all really important but they seem to be out of the conversation at the moment it's all about the where isn't it you know where it's three days a week four days a week whatever each company's deciding to do i'd love to hear your thoughts about that yeah i mean david i've been doing a lot of googling i know that opens up a whole can of worms but doing a <laughs> lot of googling on how many days it takes to build a habit yeah and when this whole pandemic first began the, the public health pandemic in march of 2020 you know and when it went on to two weeks we're like whoa and then when it went on to four weeks we're like ooh. <laughs> then when it went on to four months like whoa these might this might stick a while like this actually might make a change but there were still 90 some percent of people that said oh you know we'll be back to normal soon you know then all of a sudden we got to eight months then we got to 12 months then we got to 16 months. Now here we are at 24 months. And we're still doing things differently than we were before. Yeah. Now, now, what does that mean? Not only have we built a habit to work in this new way, but we've actually just changed. Like we've evolved. It's not just a habit. We've evolved. Work evolved. Like, and if I could just like stop right there, work evolved, period. What does that mean? That means all of our practices around people that do work need to evolve, period. Yeah. Like, and then just stop the rest of the conversation. Like, when's it going to go back to normal? When are people going back to the office? Blah, 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 blah. Like it, it changed. And I, I mean, as much as you and I were talking in the green room once again about like, luckily, you know, our families weren't affected personally by the, the health pandemic. Um, but at the same time, like the, everyone, I mean, work was affected and people were affected and change is not a bad thing. You know, so all that being said, like it's time to reshape. And, and I was sharing with you earlier that I did a podcast yesterday or you know, someone said, do you really think people are ready outside of HR to change? Sorry, they kind of said it in that voice. So sorry for the weird voice. But I was like, dude, they were ready before we were. And they are ready. Like, watch your freaking kids. Like, look at how your kids work. Like, they're already doing stuff that we don't do at work. You know, yeah. if they say what do I do when I have a baby? Like they talk in English, you know, they don't say, what do I do if I'm having a dependent? Like that's HR talk, you know? So like, 
we have to evolve to meet where they are. And they've been ready. They, the workforce, has been there. Now, for us in HR, we always say, oh, not everyone's ready. You know, oh, I can show you one person over here or a factory over here that they do everything on paper. And yes, totally get it. And we can design for them and we can help them along. But gone are the days where we sit and wait for everyone to somehow consensually say, we're ready to go digital. Because it's never going to happen. It's happening all around us. And if we don't do something, we just fall further behind. Yeah, and, and, and actually, really good point there. Kind of leads to the next question around purpose. You know, um, let's be honest, organizations are, are usually behind individuals normally behind individuals, the bulk of individuals, and perhaps even more so at the moment. You know, does individual purpose and organizational purpose have to align? You know, and then what's the impact if they do? I imagine, imagine that's pretty cool. What's the impact if they don't? Um, you know, and is there maybe a gray area um, in between the two? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question, David. I mean, alignment is a hard, alignment is hard, once again, <laughs> period. Alignment is hard. So when people say, do they have to align? There, there has to be, I mean, some level of, you know, I like long hair. Yeah, we like the same things. You know, we like long hair. You know, you just happen to be able to grow long hair or I can't. <laughs> but at the same time, we both like long hair. Okay. Um, so there's some alignment there. Yeah. Doesn't mean we have to be exactly, look exactly the same or, you know, you're more blessed follically than I am, but we both like long hair. So we're aligned, but not exactly. We don't look exactly the same. Our hair is not exactly the same. You know, in organizations, there has to be some level of alignment. Now, people say, no, we're not aligned. Yeah, like, no, we don't use the same word. Like you're using analytics and we're using intelligence. Oh, yeah. we're not aligned. Got to move on. Like, that's not the level of alignment we're ever going to get within organizations. But the purpose, the, the bigger mission, the values as to why an organization exists and what it wants to be known for and how it wants, how it, intentionally I'm saying it, yep. it wants its people, the most important asset, to feel need to be aligned. And that needs to be aligned all the way from the minute or the second that an applicant on their mobile device says, wow, I'd love to work at Insight 222. All the way to, hey, guess what? I just left Insight 222. I'm just playing with your brand there, but I lo love it. Um, you know, I just left Insight 222. But guess what? I know the values and the purpose of that organization mean they're going to welcome me back at some point if I need to. And that, that, that's, that concept of that, that air cover, we'll call it, is so crucial because everything you do can feed that air cover. If you don't have that air cover, everyone's just kind of throwing stuff around. And to the employee, it doesn't feel, back to that F word, it doesn't feel like anything. It's just a bunch of blah. So, yeah. I mean, Yes, but you know, it's but I just want to be really clear because we've had organizations that we work with every day that'll say, We're not aligned. I'm like, you're actually more aligned than you think you are. You just need to coordinate yeah. a bit, you know. But most organizations aren't that far off. Like most organizations know whether they need glasses or not. They just might need little adjustments here and there to to determine the right org model and the design in order to make sure that they can see clearly. And it's that providing clarity around the purpose and values of an organization. As you said, if, you, if you're very clear what the purpose is, what the values are, then if you're an applicant looking to join the organization, you can think, yeah, I, I want to be part of that, or I don't want to be part of that. It's, it's where it's not clear, I guess, is, is where you can get the real challenge. And it, 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 and. Yes, we can also understand from our, in, our, our the humans within the organization, what drive them from a, from a purpose perspective. 
But so David, I mean, one of the things that's really interesting about what you're saying is my father worked for the same company for 48 years. You've probably heard me tell this story. And my grandfather worked for that same company that my dad worked for for 49 years. Wow. So that's 97 years for the same company. 97. Like today, people make, I mean, so if all of, back in those days, if the company wasn't exactly right or it's not, you know, feeling great, oh, you know, we'll wait five years and see how it is in five years. Like I really remember my dad saying, you know, this is the leader that we have now. And I was just a little kid, but, you know, probably in five, 10 years, it'll get better. Like today, people don't, they, they wait five to 10 minutes to make a decision. So like we can't afford that kind of vague gray area that you're talking about. Because once again, the, today, the minute someone starts to feel that this isn't aligned to them, mm. and all the pandemic did was just accentuate this, because when we're faced with some weird mortality that no one knew we would ever be faced with. And all of a sudden we're seeing people around us like either die or change radically. Guess what? Th that time just shrinks as to how much we're willing to deal with the crap of work. Like, you know, I say this all the time and I know you've heard me say this, we're humans outside of work, but what are we inside of work? Yeah. We're still humans. It's so I can't, it has to be the same. Just like I always say, it's 2022 outside of work. What year does it feel like inside of work? They should feel close to the same. So, I mean, I think, does that make sense? It, it, that's where, to me, purpose, values, and alignment really have become accentuated now, is that, you know, what's driving this great blah, 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 resignation, reshuffle? Like, I know you put out brilliant work on how you compile headlines. Like, I was actually having some weird dream about you last week <laughs> where I was like, I mean, I, I, like, how do you compile all of these things? Great resignation, great reshuffle, great restructure, great reset. Like, first of all, I'm not sure that any of that is great. No, 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 I'd agree with you. I'm not sure why everyone's calling it great. But second of all, like this whole evolution, revolution of the human, of the employee that's happening right beautifully in front of our eyes, like that's our that's our impetus to change, I think. So- like people say, why are you so excited now after doing this for three decades? I'm like, because finally there's something other than Y2K or the cloud that might make things change. Yep. It's actually the, the world is making things change. It's ironic, isn't it? That you know, everyone talks about you know, technology, you know, technological revolution, fourth industrial revolution whatsoever. But it seems that a lot of stuff in the past has been driven by technology, whereas yeah. actually at the moment it's been driven by people, you know, people that want their companies to care about the climate, that they want their companies to be more inclusive. Um, and that's that is forcing big companies to change, um, you know, and actually care about more than just shareholder value, for example. I'm sure some of them still just care about shareholder value, but they're, they're actually having to be very public that they do care about other stuff. They do care about. Um, they do care about the climate. They do care about inclusivity. They do care about their people because otherwise they'll lose them. Weird. I know. Great. Who would have thought? Who would have thought, thought that people are our most important asset, but I might actually think of them that way. I mean, you've heard me say this also. How do we stop counting people and making people count? Yeah. Well, maybe now, finally, is the time, which is why I'm so excited about what we do. Yeah, it's, it's definitely an exciting time. and you know, it, unfortunately, it's taken a health crisis to, to maybe push it forward uh, a little bit faster. But, but you know, David, everyone that listens to your podcast, and I'm just going to say this, and, you know, someone's going to probably get mad at me. But right now, we are the characters, we are the actors in this movie. And someone's going to look back in the year 2030, back to right now, 2022, and say, what did these actors do? What did these characters do? Did they sit back and still talk about their cloud? Did they sit back and still talk about you know, employee self-service? Or did they actually do something to change work? I'm not gonna be the person that doesn't do something. Like, 
and I think that as a rallying cry for everyone in the space, it's our opportunity. Yeah, I mean, something you, I've, I've heard you say before around, you know, this is a great, this is the opportunity for HR. I think it's even more so now, isn't it? Because we've actually seen examples, quite public examples of organizations with strong, effective HR leaders who are, who, who dialed in well to their, their CEO and the C-suite actually changing things over the last couple of years. And putting I mean, people David, at the center. Yeah, for sure. But at the same time, we also see every single day someone crash and burn. Well, yeah. You know, because people aren't dialed into the fact that people are at the center. Like, oh, I'm just going to go ahead and abuse women because they're not humans and not pay them equally. Those days are coming to an end. Yeah. I'm just going to abuse the fact that I have, you know, a, a lower class people offshore that can do the same work and treat them at pay them at wage under poverty level like that that's not accepted anymore like you lose consumers as that gets out so i mean uh, just like there's people that are doing the positives i hope that some of this work around human actually allows us to change the world and get rid of some of the labor practices that are have been hideous as far as i'm concerned yeah yeah i think you agree with you on that and maybe one of the ways that we can do that is to make it transparent, you know, measure, you know, experience in, in different organizations, use the data to, to really highlight to, to, to people to effectively vote their feet and go to the organizations that do care. When we come back in just a moment, Jason will share his thoughts on how to measure employee experience at both a micro and a macro level. This series of the Digital HR Leaders podcast is sponsored by 365 Talents. 365 Talents is a talent management platform that uses artificial intelligence to increase internal mobility, engage your employees, and prepare for the future. Is 2022 the year you are looking to transform your workforce? Are you ready to become a boardroom rock star? If you are looking for better skills, better careers, and better business, Look no further. 365 Talents is already transforming HR at companies such as EY, Alliance, and Bearing Point. Want to know how? Follow our journey and learn how improving talent experience will boost your business outcomes at 365talents.com. That's 365talents.com. Welcome back to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast with Jason Averbuck. Now, back to the conversation. Obviously, you've been working in this field for for a long time, Jason. When it comes to measuring employee experience, what what kind of measures should organizations be focusing on to understand what what is successful employee experience or human experience? I mean, David, there's there's so many different levels to that question. Um, I mean... It, measuring employee experience, it starts at the micro and it builds up to a macro. You know, I mean, is an employee frustrated today based on the fact that they're trying to do something at work and they can't get it done? You know, how do I answer that question? Yes or no? Yeah. Not 3.726. <laughs> And I, I don't mean to be so weird about that, but you know, like, are my employees frustrated? Yes or no? Well, it's kind of in the middle. So what happens when it's in the middle? Nothing. Mediocrity. Yeah. Yes or no? Did an employee feel like an interaction they had as part of being an employee of that organization, not an interaction with HR? as being an employee of that organization, how did it make them feel? Good or not good? Thumbs up, thumbs down. There's no this. Thumbs up, sorry, for those of you listening, I did the thumb in the middle, but thumbs up, thumbs down. You know, like if I can do that, then I can move to the next level up, which is what is the impact of a lot of positive little experiences, micro experiences? 
oh, the impact is people are staying long or the impact is people aren't leaving because they're frustrated. Or the fact is that, wow, people are staying when they get a call from a recruiter, they ignore it. Yeah. Cool. Let's go up the next level. Now, what does that do? You know, then the next level up shows me that, wow, if people are staying longer, guess what? You know, it's not costing me as much to recruit. Now, I'm still not really speaking a CEO's language. But guess what? If people stay longer, wow, it might drive better customer experience. Wow, if I have a better customer experience, I might have more profit. Well, if I have more profit, I might have better shareholder return. So uh, does that make sense? I mean, I, I'm sorry, I'm not being very- No, 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 it makes perfect you know, sense. We're starting with- you don't with look little, after the micro experiences and forget about the micro- hey, You don't just start with the frosting. Yeah. You know, you actually have to build this intentionally from those micro moments so that you build up to whatever that outcome is that you're trying to achieve. So, you know, for as long as I've followed your work, I've always been amazed at your passion towards analytics. There's probably five of you weirdos in the world <laughs> that I'm so amazed with at your passion. Maybe not five, maybe three. But the challenge that I always have when we try to take stuff to business is they don't know what to do. Like they don't know what it means. Like when you tell stories, David, like I've heard you MC, like, and I don't, I don't wanna make this a love fest, but like, I get touched by it. But most HR people, when they tell stories about their data or about their people, I'm not, not only am I not touched by it, I'm bored to death. Because I don't see the impact. I don't see the correlation between what I'm trying to do as a people function and overall purpose outcomes that the organization cares about. Yeah. So I, you know, long way to say, Employee experience is the root of what drives any of these macro measures that we're looking at. And without the employee experience being somewhat positive, like the thing breaks down pretty quick. If you're going to start measuring profitability and you have a bunch of people unhappy at work, um, you know, that you got a problem already. Yeah, and I think, as you said, the really important thing is to, to frame that conversation whether it's with employees, whether that's with CEO, frame it in a language that's going to resonate with them. As you said, you know, we've done X, Y, and Z. And by doing that, we're having a positive impact on stuff that CEO cares about, customer experience, you know, where profits are up, you know, because we're keeping people, you know, it's those sorts, of, as you said, it's those sorts of things rather than saying, oh, our attrition's gone down from 14 to 12%. Well, yeah, and what it, it really, and, and you know, I, I hope, David, that another thing that people start to take away is just like the human experience matters, human storytelling matters. Mm. Uh, it's fascinating to me the number of people that still count on a system to tell a story. Like systems don't tell stories, systems give you the words to be able to tell a story in your own words. But the system itself isn't going to tell the story. And, you know, in the, once again, in the green room, we were talking about why people are not happy with systems. That's one of the biggest reasons why. It's because they're like, hey, what we saw in the demo isn't working with the CEO. Yeah, like no CEO wants to see your dumb report. Sorry. You know, CEOs want to hear you tell the story about what you're doing to impact what they care most about. And that takes a human. Uh, you know, don't try to get rid of humans when it comes to storytelling, please. Get rid of humans when it comes to data entry. But don't get rid of humans at the final mile when you're finally trying to show the value that our function delivers to an organization. So it kind of leads on to the next thing. Um, I'll ask, actually ask the next question, and then and then we'll maybe look at some organisations that that you that you think are doing this well. You know, experience and feeling is one thing; trust is another. You know, so 
why is fostering trust? It's a bit of an obvious one, but I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this. Why is fostering trust so important for both designing and measuring um, employee experience? So, tr you know, tr so trust is at the end of the day what determines whether someone feels back to that F word again, feels good about something, whether they feel like it's accurate. I mean, I still laugh, David, the number of people that measure employee experience based on how a screen looks. Like how a screen looks, if a screen, if the way a screen looks builds trust in you and makes you completely trust, you know, you're off on some weird phishing scam. Because like, think about all the things we do online. So let's pretend that we're creating this podcast together, but what the experience comes out to, to the user is nothing like what you and I are talked about today you chop it up you edit it you make it into this thing where it's like you know Averbook says hr people suck <laughs> we won't do that so. right but <laughs> how would i what would be my feeling related to trust to you for the forever very it would be gone yeah right so you know this might be a great experience recording this but if the end output is not a good experience the trust is gone like I might go in and do my self-service transaction as an employee, but guess what? At the end of the day, if my pay is wrong, the trust is gone. Mm. If I go into a portal and type in something in the search bar, or my, as my 14-year-old says, the answer bar, and I don't get an answer, the trust starts to go away. So great user interfaces are the first step but they don't create the overall experience. If you order pizza and you say, hey, I want a pizza with ham and pineapple. I've always thought people are weird that like <laughs> hot fruit on pizza. But you know, if I, I want a pizza with ham and pineapple, but what gets delivered to me is pepperoni and sausage. You know, I might love the user interface, but I hate the experience because that's not I don't that's not what I wanted. Yeah. So I, I hope that makes sense. It's it's trust is key. And the minute that you abandon on a technology journey, or the minute that you abandon because a report, you say, oh, David gave me this data, and Ian gave me this data. Guess what? Trust, gone. Yeah. I don't trust any of the data anymore. So, I mean, trust is at the core. And experience, a good experience or a great experience, builds more trust. And then it's a flywheel. Because guess what? I can now trust and I can deploy more. And all of a sudden, people don't see HR as the police. You know, they see HR as someone trying to be proactive in helping them drive different outcomes. And so, I mean, uh, so I don't want to sound preachy. I know I do. No, no, no. Trust no, no, no. at the center of, of humanity, of, you know, what makes up a human. And, and I think... You know, really important point about trust. If, if we think in HR as HR professionals, we're collecting quite a lot of data, increasing the amount of data about the people that work for our organisation. You know, let's be transparent about the data we're collecting, why we're collecting it, who's got access to it, and what benefit you're going to get from us actually looking at this data. So, for example, if we're collecting skills data. We're, we're going to collect skills data. We're going to tell you, we're going to give you um, personalized recommendations to support your learning, to support career paths within the organization. We're going to, we're going to give you information that will tell you how much your skills are worth, both within the company, within the external marketplace. And we're all going to, also going to say that if you, you've got skills one to five, if you learn skills six to seven, this is going to help you move towards comp, comp, comp of, of, of this kind of level opportunities of this level within the organization that that's trust then if i'm an employee i've got trust because it's like okay you're collecting my data but i'm getting personal benefit from it. yeah and, and and david i think that i agree with you and but like linkedin doesn't tell me how they're going to use my data to make sure that your articles pop up at the top every month but guess what they do <laughs> and the reason i keep going there is because I find value. Yeah. You know, Instagram, you know, doesn't tell me how it's going to use my data, 
yet, oh, I keep going there because I keep getting value. So I just want to make sure that we don't over-engineer this too much. And like, oh, we have to ask permission. We have. I know that that's a huge thing, but guess what? Someone's not going to give you permission. And then what's going to happen? Nothing. So we have to be really careful. In my personal opinion, I don't mean to sound radical here, but you know, if we're going to create personalized experiences, and we as an organization already have the data. You know, do we have to continue to ask for permission as to how we're going to use the data? Because I guarantee you, I mean, if you ask for permission, someone's going to say no. Like, don't even like go through the whole exercise. Like, it, it, that's human nature. It, it, no one's ever going to be like we talked about, completely aligned. So if you want no, ask the question. If you want to actually get somewhere, it's probably best to start doing and show value. Like, wow, isn't this cool that that's actually showing me a career path? Like, they never asked me if, I, if they could do that. Yeah, I mean, I, do you know what I'm trying to say? I'm sorry, I don't mean to sound like radical about it. No, 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 you're right. I think it, there's a point where- It's a balance, people, isn't it? It's a balance. It is, a, it's a balance, but there's also a point where like if we don't ever just take some chances and we don't ever just start pushing forward to prove, prove that people can trust us, they're always going to say no, and then we're never going to go anywhere. Yeah. And you and I are going to be 90 years old, sitting in some retirement home saying, oh, there's still got file rooms. Yeah, we talked about file rooms in the... In the- <laughs> <laughs> we hope you're enjoying this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. If you're looking to continue your learning journey, head over to myhrfuture.com and take a look at the MyHR Future Academy. It's a learning experience platform supporting HR professionals to become more data-driven, more business-focused, and more experience-led. By taking our short assessment, you'll see how you stack up against the HR skills of the future. Then, our recommended learning journeys guide you every step of the way, helping you to close your skills gaps, deepen your knowledge, and press play on your career. Now, let's get back to the conversation with Jason as he discusses the role of technology in supporting employee experience. So, so Jason, this is sort of kind of wrap up. This is a question we're asking everyone in this in this series, and we've touched on it a little bit, but I know this is something that you particularly have a lot of expertise in. What is the role of technology in supporting employee experience? David, technology is the fuel that allows employee experience to scale. Because there's nothing that we're doing in the world of employee experience that if it's just, if I'm your HR person, David, I'm, I'm, I'm the HR person for 10 people. I can provide a good employee experience because guess what? I know everything about you. Yeah. 10 people. I know everything about you. I know what you like. I know what kind of ice cream you like. You know, I know, you know, what time you have to pick up your kids. Like, I can provide a really good employee experience because I know you. The, that word that I want to throw in is scale. Yeah. Once you get to scale, then all of a sudden it, that can't happen. Like we can't have a one to 10 ratio of someone that makes me feel like they care about me. I mean, my manager should be doing this, but my manager also has a gazillion other things to do. Okay, so when I get to, as I start blowing up that scale balloon, I have to realize that technology is the only thing that's going to drive consistency. Otherwise, you know, if you ask me a question, you're going to get one answer. If you ask Ian a question, you're going to get another answer. And then all of a sudden, what? There's that T word again. I don't trust. So like technology and data are the only things that allow us to scale experience. Okay, that, so that's the first thing. The second thing is that with all of the data I have, technology allows me to personalize yeah. in a way that the human brain just can't do. I mean, David, you and I spent a day in Dubai together. I should remember everything about our conversation in Dubai, but I was probably half sleeping and I don't remember it all. But guess what? As a machine, I would remember that 
and be able to say, hey, remember when we were in Dubai, we talked about this, this, and this. And guess what? You'd say, wow, that person really knows me. Yeah. That system really knows me. And there's that F word again. It makes me feel good. Right? So that's, I mean, to me, the technology is the fuel. The problem with technology is that people just think they can buy the technology and forget all of the other design stuff. Like, yeah. we just need something out of the box that's going to create a great employee experience. And that's where organizations go wrong. They get the wrong expectation. They start down the wrong path. They still go live with a minimum viable product. No one wants a minimum viable product. I'm going to provide you a minimum viable experience. How does that sound? Not particularly good. Yeah, but that's what I mean. So I mean, like, how do I switch from minimum viable to minimum lovable? If someone says I'm going to provide you a minimum lovable experience, you're like, oh, cool. That's awesome. But minimum viable experience? Oh, thank, thank you so much for providing me a minimal viable experience. Um, so, I mean, there's just a lot of things that go wrong with technology if we don't actually start with the real purpose of what we're trying to achieve. Yeah, and I think that, I think it's so important, isn't it? That start with purpose. What are we trying to achieve and how can, what's the role of technology and data to, to, to get us where we need to get to and tell us that we've got there? Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, and yeah. You know, and then and then make sure that we once again listen. Listen. Yeah. The way we measure our success is by listening, not by saying we went live, you know, <laughs> but by listening to what people and how they're feeling. So I can then say, hey, this is I made those micro moments. Now I'm moving up on Maslow's hierarchy. Yeah. Well, Jason, we could probably talk all day, and and actually, you do have pretty much all day to talk at the moment, but. We, we do try and limit these uh, episodes to uh, around uh, 45 minutes. And just for listeners, Jason is sitting in a hotel room in, 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 in Cincinnati while we're recording this. And he, uh, he came today specially so he could record this. So uh, we're very grateful, Jason, for you to... to I wish that. we were live, David. I wish we were live. It would be, so be great to be live. We should, yes. we, should, we should try and do a live episode one day. And then if you said about the F word, I would be even more nervous than I was when you, when you said it. I knew it was going to be something good like feel. So, <laughs> um, Jason, thanks so much for being a guest on the Digital HR Leaders podcast. You know, how can listeners stay in touch with you, follow you on social media uh, and find out more about your work at LeapGen? Yeah, I mean, the best way is just to connect with me on LinkedIn or connect with LeapGen on, you know, LeapGen on LinkedIn. You know, it, just in closing, you know, one of the things, David, we didn't get to that, that you mentioned, and I'll say this really, really quickly. There are organizations that are doing this well. Yes, I should have asked um, that question. So let's do that now. What yeah, organizations are doing this well, Jason? Yeah, it's not easy. There are organizations that are doing this well. And, you know, what's important, and the reason that we named LeapGen LeapGen is the it's that LEAP and LeapGen stands for something. It stands for love, energy, audacity, and proof. How do you love what you do? If you love what you do, it generates energy. If you have energy, you can do the audacious, and then you prove that value with everything audacious that you do, okay? So there are organizations out there that are doing audacious things. They're putting in conversational bots. Once again, I jump right to the technology on purpose, but because they had a vision, because they had a mission, they leveraged technology to truly create a personalized experience that makes an employee feel like they constantly have a Siri or Alexa with them yeah. to be able to answer any question. There are organizations that are thinking about employee experience and saying, guess what? Mental health, well-being are a key component. And right now, no one can find even how to access these amazing benefits that we offer our workforce because they're buried on our intranet or portal somewhere. So there are organizations all over the world that are making small steps to do this. This is not a big bang thing. Okay. The other thing that's so important about this and those organizations that do this best is they do this and treat these initiatives like pets, not like rocks. You walk them daily, you water them daily, you pick up after them daily. You don't just put it in and like, oh, cool, done, let it sit. And, and that's a muscle that the experience team within organizations 
that could be another whole podcast, by the way. But that experience team within organizations has to build. So don't give up. There are lots of organizations doing it, but start with the why. What are you trying to do? Then what's the best way to achieve it? Brilliant. Thanks, Jason. And, and thank you for remembering the question that I forgot because that's a really important question as well. So, so again, how can, and how can people find out more about LeapGen as well? Um, obviously yeah, the best way to find out about LeapGen is just leapgen.com. Um, follow us on uh, LinkedIn. We do a daily, or excuse me, we do, we do a weekly digital meetup every Friday that we'd love to have more people from across the pond in as well. We already have a good contingent from Europe um, and India. Love to always grow that though. So um, you know, find that you'll find all that information on LinkedIn. Okay. David, thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. And uh, I just have to say, you know, I called you, you know, weird earlier. You're one of the five weirdos or three weirdos that I love listening to when it comes to analytics and intelligence. Thank you for everything you do. Um, as oftentimes people don't hear that, but you know, the work that you do is truly, truly amazing the work you do to put together those lists of articles and content is truly, truly amazing. And I know the whole industry finds it of value. So thank you. Well, thank you, Jason. I've been called a lot worse than a weirdo. So I'll take that as a, I'll take that as a compliment. And thank you too. Thank you too, as well, because uh, you've been helping shape this space for, for a long time. And, and I think companies are finally starting to catch up. So, um, which is good, which is good. So thank you, Jason. Thanks, David. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show with five stars on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your support and feedback to keep being able to make the podcast. For more from us at Insight 222, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and you can sign up for our weekly newsletters too by going to myhrfuture.com. We'll be back next week for episode two of series 21, where I'll be joined by Laura Stevens, Vice President, Global Strategy, Analytics and Employee Experience at DSM. Until then, stay safe, stay well and take care.